This podcast is hosted by Dr. Happymon Jacob. Dr. Jacob is an associate professor of security studies at Jawaharlal Nehru University, New Delhi. His weekly column on India's national security and foreign policy issues is published by The Hindu. He is also the author of two new books on India-Pakistan border, Line on Fire by Oxford University Press and Line of Control by Penguin India. Hello and welcome to the National Security Conversation. It has been close to three months since the government of India decided to read down the provisions of Article 370 and undo the statehood of Jammu and Kashmir. JNK has since been placed under a massive clampdown, fearing perhaps an uprising. The communication blackout, heavy deployment of security forces and the never-ending curfew have been making international headlines since. The international community seems to be increasingly impatient about what's happening in Kashmir. In early October, the United States Senate Committee on Foreign Relations appealed to end what it calls a humanitarian crisis in Kashmir. However, the official U.S. position, as articulated by Alice Wells, Acting Assistant Secretary at the U.S. State Department, was much more nuanced and even appeared to formally back the Indian government's rationale for the Kashmir decision in August. The government of India has dismissed some of the adverse comments by saying that many key decision makers in the U.S had been misinformed by their own media. A few days ago, 23 members of European Parliament were on a private and guided tour of Kashmir, who, as expected, adopted a pro-India position at the end of their journey. Critics, however, pointed out that they were invited because of their right-wing political credentials. For instance, they belonged to right-wing parties such as France's National Rally, Germany's Alternative for Germany, the UK's Brexit Party, Italy's Forza Italia, and Poland's Law and Justice Party. So what has the August decision on Kashmir, which is reading down special status given to Jammu and Kashmir and undoing its statehood, done to or will do to India's global image as a country that is widely seen as an upholder of norms, values, and inclusiveness. More so, has the government managed to internationalize the Kashmir issue, something the Indian governments have traditionally tried to avoid? My guest today is Max Rodenbeck. Max is the South Asia bureau chief of The Economist magazine, covering the Indian subcontinent. He arrived in New Delhi in 2015, after 15 years as the bureau chief in the Middle East, covering the region from Iran to Morocco. Mr. Rodenbeck is a frequent contributor to the New York Review of Books and the author of a critically acclaimed history of Cairo, the Egyptian capital. Thanks, Happy Man. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. With, with all that's happening in Kashmir, on Kashmir, do you think India has managed to internationalize the Jammu and Kashmir issue, as it were? Uh, to a certain extent. I mean, the issue is always has always been internationalized to a degree. But, uh, you know, it had been falling off the international radar to a certain extent. And I think with this measure, India's actually managed to bring it back onto a kind of international radar. Uh, and, um, you know, as we can see, the response, I mean, you know, from the United Nations, from various other countries, people who hadn't commented on this issue for a long, long time suddenly feel obliged to do so. So uh, definitely, I think India's certainly, you know, brought international focus back to uh, a, a matter that could have been 
you know, quietly left as a more or less internal matter, at least the, you know, the, the, the state of Jammu and Kashmir, aside from the wider Kashmir, you know, problem and dispute, but I mean, at least the, the you know, situation within, within the state of Jammu and Kashmir was not particularly internationalized, and it has become so. So looking at it from the outside, how bad is it looking for India at this point of time? Well, I, I mean, I don't think it looks so terrible, in, in, but it's not because uh, uh, things look good. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's more that the world has a, an immense number of other distractions, you know, uh, right now. I mean, it's, we're living in a, an increasingly disorderly world. So one more little bit of tension and disorder is sort of too much for people to take. Um, so, and th there's, a, there's not much uh, patience, uh, 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 there's a lot of fatigue with, you know, such kind of geopolitical problems. And this, in a sense, works to India's advantage because people are, their attention is elsewhere, there isn't the, the bandwidth to, you know, for the rest of the world to, to uh, grapple with this problem. And also because India is a very big country and a lot of, uh, you know, countries don't want to mess with India. So, happy to let India get, get along with it, uh, get on with things. But at the same time, um, I mean, this is one of the things that, uh, from an international perspective, I mean, one of the questions that arises is, why did India do this? You know, uh, there didn't seem to be any particularly pressing reason to, to change the situation. Uh, there was a, a question of timing, why now? There was no particularly, you know, uh, uh, urgent uh, uh, thing pushing India. It seems to have been India's, India's own internal politics that made this happen. And so I think a lot of outside countries are sort of scratching their heads to a certain extent. Uh, you know, wh why now? What's this all about? Uh, whereas they weren't paying attention before. Right, you know, I know this discussion is about the international reactions to what happened in Kashmir, but I think before we move uh, on, we should, we should sort of try and define in your words what you think has happened in Jammu and Kashmir. And what's your, looking at it from the outside, what do you think has happened in Jammu and Kashmir? Well, I think, you know, it depends, you can, one, one can, pick things apart in very careful, you know, detail of, because it's an incredibly com complicated constitutional question right. with a legacy of 80 years of problems. And I mean, it, it's, it takes several PhDs to begin to uh, <laughs> unpack all of this, which I just don't have. Tell it's me not about my it. thing. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, so I think we'll have to deal in sort of broader gener generalities, um, you know, and the constitutional setup uh, that in, that in, in which, uh, you know, the state of Jammu and Kashmir found itself, um, you know, it was set up for particular reasons and it had a particular sort of utility. Uh, and um, basically what's happened is that, that the, this, this kind of fiction, we all, we all, everyone agrees that it's a semi-fictional autonomy that was right. given to this re region. Um, and we all agree on that. Kashmiris agree on that. <laughs> we all agree that it's a bit of a fiction. But, um, you know, there are fictions that are useful. Symbols um, that are useful. Yeah. And uh, uh, I mean, and you, if you look internationally, uh, uh, often it's the case when a symbolism that is useful is broken for, you know, an immediate political reason, it can have costs that are un, un, unexpected, you know. Um, you know, I think of one thing, for example, you know, I was in the Middle East for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, the, the idea of, of American power sort of standing back there was a very useful thing to have when it wasn't used, you know. And as soon as the Americans actually used their power by invading Iraq, for example, everything began to fall apart for them, actually. You know, that's the beginning when it's much more useful to have your power and not use it, you know, to, ha to just have it and have it, uh, hold it up there. And it's the same kind of, kind of thing with this, this sort of useful fiction of, of, of Kashmir. It served a lot of different purposes, and everyone knew it was a fiction, but, you know, it didn't seem necessary to change that. 
And uh, so that's the, that's the thing that India has done. And you know, no matter how you, you describe it in terms of doing, changing you know, uh, 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 this particular law, adding this particular thing, the fiction has been, has been dropped and replaced by a much more direct reality of control from Delhi. Max, you mentioned constitution at least three times in your answer. So are you then saying, as the Indian government is saying, that this is a purely domestic internal issue? Um, to, to an extent, yes. I mean, because uh, it has to do with the way India is governing a piece of territory that is completely under India's control. You know? So in that, case, in, that, in that sense, it's a domestic issue. Um, and I'm not a judge of international law to be able to say, no, but it's not, or on some grounds. I mean, no, I mean, India is in control of that territory. Nobody's disputing India's control, I mean, disputing, I mean, nobody's actually challenging India's actual physical control. And India has changed the terms of its control of that territory. In that sense, it's completely, you know, internal. Um, but of course, you know, the wider Kashmir question has been, you know, uh, 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 a fraught international problem for 70 years, you know. Um, uh, uh, and this does, you know, affect the, 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 the wider question. I mean, because one of the things this government's policy is not only change the status of, of the state of Jammu and Kashmir, this government has kind of brought forward India's claims a little bit. That's another thing that's happened. Less discussed, but many ministers now have spoken about, you know, India's territorial rights to uh, 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 Pakistani controlled uh, uh, parts of, of the former princely state of Jammu and Kashmir. Uh, including the foreign minister, etc. And, you know, I mean, India's, technically India's had that claim for a long time, but it hasn't been so, you know, stated, you know, and it seems like India's shifted its policy forward in that, in that sense. So, you know, that, that has impl international implications too. But if it is a purely domestic issue, why is the international community concerned about what's happening in Kashmir, vis-a-vis Kashmir? Is it because Imran Khan is talking about the possibility of a nuclear confrontation? why should the international community, the government of India could turn around and ask, if it is a domestic issue, why should the international community be concerned about it? Yeah, and I think India can stand on that if, if, if India wishes to. But we all know that there are so many overlapping things. I mean, you know, China lays claim to parts of the territory that India is uh, uh, currently in, in, in occupation of. India claims parts of Chinese territory. You know, there are all these overlapping claims. Pakistan and India are you know, adversary nations, nuclear armed, you know, there are many re reasons for the world to be concerned. And I think there's also another concern, which is that, you know, I mean, aside from these, these technical, legal, military concerns, there is an international concern with the human rights issue, you know. I mean, and it's not just a human rights issue of, you know, putting lots of people under curfew and so on, but actually taking a decision, you know, in a democracy such as India, a large decision that affects the, the future of many millions of people in Jammu and Kashmir without asking them. I mean, they were not asked. So no matter how you frame this, uh, no matter how you know, legal, in term, constitutionally speaking, uh, 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 this move was, um, it, it's a simple fact that the, the people involved in a democracy were not asked how they feel about this. And uh, so that, is a, that is a, puts a question mark you know, over, over how democracy is practiced in India. And, you know, of course, Everyone is worried about not interfering in other countries' internal affairs. But that's quite a, it's quite a blot on Indian democracy. You know, this is interesting. So you're saying that the international community is concerned about what's happening in Kashmir because of the human rights implications. So if the government of India were able to carry out what it did vis-a-vis -vis Kashmir without, say, the lockdown or curfew or arresting all these mainstream political leaders, etc., 
And if there were no human rights implications, this, this would have been all right. This would have been seem all right by the international community. I, I think to a certain extent, and certainly India has enough friends in the international community, you know, it has enough skillful diplomats, you know, who are quite able to, to you know, state India's position. There's a lot of, you know, accumulated goodwill for India. You know, there's a lot of Indian soft power, you know, that I think this would have gone basically unchallenged if, if, if the same kind of, not the same outcome exactly, but I mean, if India had wanted to change the status, but as you say, in a way that in conflict with the, the actual people who live in, 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 in the actual citizens of Jammu and Kashmir. You know? So you, as a foreign journalist, wouldn't really um, care too much had it been done without, without the other human cause, as it were, as they're involved in it. It's not, I mean, it's not my, it's not my concern as a, as a journalist to care or not care. I just report on what I see. Right, so you didn't, you yeah. didn't probably... Yeah. But, but I think, I think in India would have had, there would have been much less serious repercussions for India. You know, it would not have been internationalized. It would not have led to so much, you know, re-hyphenization mm -hmm. of things. It wouldn't have had an outcomes that are not in India's interest. The way that this is unfolded has made it more difficult for India. You know, you said something very interesting earlier on. You said that uh, the timing of this particular decision, at least from an international systemic point of view, is very interesting because the international attention is elsewhere. There are a lot of other things happening in the international community at this point of time, and no one wants to mess with India. Do you want to unpack these two things for us? One, that the attention of the international community is elsewhere, and two, that no one wants to mess with India at this point of time. Yeah, well, I, th I mean, I think the, the international inter attention, I mean, one we have a we have globally is uh, we have the, the, the sort of Trump phenomenon, which is which is not just that America has become from being a kind of fairly reliable fixed thing on the international plane. America has become an erratic, right. <laughs> moving object. Right. You know? So that makes everyone you know nervous and and and. But also you know someone like Trump just manages to fix the world's attention on himself you know all the time. So there's just less bandwidth left for other things. You know the Middle East is in a colossal mess. Uh, uh, Syria has not been resolved. Uh, uh, you know there are tensions between China and America, which are uh, big news. You know, uh, 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 you know, long-term strategic implications and so on. Um, so I think there, and you know, between Russia and its neighbors, uh, China and the rest of the world, there are so many other things on the on the plate, so to speak. Um, and there are also, I mean, on the scale of uh, sort of even human rights troubles. There are much more grave things than what's happening in Kashmir now, although it's not very nice. But I mean, you know, what's happening in 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 in, uh, in Western China with the, the in Xinjiang province with the Uyghurs? Uh, I mean, this is a much more uh, shocking you know, thing happening, actually. People living in glass houses. Yes. Why not throw stones at you? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the that's the attention being elsewhere. Yeah. What, what do you mean by no one wants to mess with India at this point of time? What is that? Well, I think India, you know, India is a very large country with with strong interests uh, and and actually influence in a lot of places. There there have been traditionally countries that would speak up about the Kashmir issue. I mean, for example, the Muslim world, the Organization of the Islamic Conference, you know, these uh, different outfits like that. And there has been a real shift in the Middle East, you know, moved largely by events in uh, Saudi Arabia, for example, uh, Iran, Turkey. Uh, these countries, you know, they're not only are they completely at odds with each other, you know, so there's no uni unity within the Muslim world at all. It's completely fragmented. So there's no one voice about Muslim issues. Uh, so there's no voice to speak about Kashmir from the sort of you know global Muslim pers perspective. There's no one, no one, no one to do that. Um, but also countries like Saudi Arabia, because they're locked in their own you know uh, 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 
sort of uh, struggle with uh, their competitors, rivals, Saudi Arabia with Iran, for example. Um, Saudi Arabia is much more concerned to have uh, allies in its struggle with, with Iran than it is to stand up and be the big you know, champion of Muslim rights and so on and so forth. So Saudi Arabia, for example, which used to be a very influential country. And there's a very interesting joint statement where they are saying that uh, they reiterated their categorical rejection of all forms of interference in internal affairs. Yes. Speak to, speaks yes. to your point. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and so that's, that's, that's the Muslim world. And then other countries, I mean, with, between India and China, for example, there is a kind of unspoken, who maybe it is spoken, but it seems to be unspoken, quid pro quo. India says nothing, and India has never made an official statement about events in Xinjiang. None. It's total silence from the Indian uh, foreign ministry about events in, in, in Xinjiang. It's a Chinese internal matter. And I think Indian diplomats make it very clear to the Chinese that if you, you know, meddle in our internal affairs, we have plenty of ammunition to meddle in yours. So there's a kind of standoff, you know, right. and India is right. able to make right. this standoff even with rival countries. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, you know, uh, Max, the other day, uh, the, the, a delegation of about 23 European members of parliament uh, were allowed to visit Jammu and Kashmir, uh, sort of a PR exercise by the government of India. Uh, to tell the international community that, hey, we are open and come and visit uh, and you can see it for yourself what's happening there. Uh, how, how do you sort of assess this dipl diplomatic effort? Do you think it has backfired? It has, in fact, received a lot of uh, criticism and negative uh, publicity from, the, from within the country and also from outside. So how do you sort of look at it? Well, I think it's, 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 it's internationally it's backfired. It's internationally, it's backfired. Yeah, it doesn't work. I mean, because it's pretty... Why has it backfired? Well, because it's pretty transparent. It's the kind of thing that countries that are not democratic do, is invi invite a few, you know, uh, likely-looking, uh, you know, uh, uh, foreign commentators. I mean, for example, I've covered elections in, in, in countries which are not at all democratic, you know, fake elections. And when they want to get election observers, you can always find floating, you know, people out there who will fit in a television picture and look like an international observer. These people exist, you know, all over. I mean, you know, uh, uh, retired justices of the peace and re retired diplomats from different countries. And you can, you know, there, there are also agencies and outfits out there that will gather these people up and bring them to you, you know. Uh -huh. And, I mean, this, this particular group d was not a convincing group. I mean, it was rather strange. I was actually, I was at some of the... the, the you know, some of their events, and uh, everyone was backing away. You know, all of the European diplomats in, in Delhi were saying, they have nothing, we have nothing to do with this, we have nothing to do with this. And even the, the, the foreign ministry, India's own external affairs ministry, was saying, look, look, we didn't do this, you know, this is not us. So, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's not, not particularly convincing on, on those grounds. It looks, it makes good television for pro-government television inside India. But for the rest of the world, it's pretty shallow stuff. And Max, you said uh, this backfired internationally because this is not what democratic countries do. What should a democratic country do well, in, if, in a situation if, like this? Well, if you first of all, you, 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 you let your own parliamentarians go and visit before you invite a bunch of strange, oddball foreigners. These are a rather odd bunch of people, by the way, very peculiar. I mean, I, I've never seen such a strange mix of, you know, uh, uh, politicians. Um, uh, but if India's own members of, of the Lok Sabha are not allowed to go, as a foreign journalist here, no foreign journalist is allowed to go to, to Kashmir. Uh, we haven't been allowed to go for more than a year. Uh, they were not told that it's forbidden. 
we're told, make an application. So we all make applications. All the foreign journalists here have all made applications, and we never hear a reply. So in the recent past, you did apply to go to Kashmir? Yeah, yeah, But of course. you have not been permitted to do Never. So. Not a single foreign journalist has been allowed, given permission to go. So no foreign journalists, no Indian uh, members of parliament, and suddenly this group uh, have, have uh, permission to go and float around on Lake Dal. You know, I mean, it's a bit, you know, it's, <laughs> it's for a photo opportunity. Right. You know, and even they, some of them commented and said it would be nice if there were actually more open access. So I, I don't think it's a... But on, on the, you know, generally uh, pro-government television, you know, with uh, all these things that flash on the television screen, it looks nice to have a few foreign members of parliament. It makes, it look thing, makes things look normal, but I'm afraid they're not normal. How do you read the... Indian reaction to the so-called negative international publicity? Is it, do you read the attitude as, yeah, talk all you want, we don't care? Or do you read the attitude as, well, we are concerned that you're concerned, but we'll get it, we'll make it all right? What's, what's the sense you're getting, what you're reading of the Indian reaction to the negative publicity, as it were? Well, I think one hears both things, both kinds of things. It's, it seems a little bit schizophrenic. I mean, because if you're really not concerned, then why go through these, you know, <laughs> hoops to kind of uh, try and make things look normal when everyone knows they're not normal? I mean, right. you know, you, it'd be better if you just brazen it out. If you're really open about it, why not open the place up? You know, let people go and say, see for themselves. So, I mean, you know, one or the, or the other, you know, and there's, there has been a negative response, as I say, largely because, you know, this is a strange, uh, you know, to, to, to declare that you're doing these measures in the name of democracy without asking the people who are actually directly affected. Mm -hmm. It's a very peculiar thing, you know, so of course people ask questions. So I, I don't think the, the rest of the world is not so much hostile. They're, they're, they're you know, they, they, the way India has managed this just doesn't look good. You know. you know, Max, shifting gears, um, you know, after the Wuhan spirit and uh, the Chennai connect, and given the fact that China also has a lot of uh, skeletons in, in, in its closet, one would have imagined that the Chinese uh, took it easy with India. But the, the reactions from the Chinese government yesterday, um, the, the foreign ministry spokesperson in Beijing told the media yesterday that India unilaterally changed its domestic laws and administrative division, challenging China's sovereignty. This is unlawful and void and this is not effective in any way and will not change the fact that the area is under the Chinese control, he said. What, what, do, you, what do you make of it? Well, I think it's kind of interesting because... A very um, strong statement. It's quite a strong statement, but it's also... Uh, it's, if you look at, if you pick apart the words, it's clear that what China is talking about here is, is actually Aksai Chin. It's only talking about one, one part of territory. It's not talking about the state of Jammu and Kashmir. It's talking about the part of this disputed territory which is under Chinese control. You know, so, so the Chinese are being very specific. So they're, in a way, in sort of diplomatic language, they're drawing a line, line and saying, we're not speaking, we're not interfering in your domestic affairs. We're, we are angry about your, you know, uh, 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 your, 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 your changes to what we see as our, our territory, Aksai Chin. Um, so, and also, I think the Chinese see it's in their interest to keep the issue of Kashmir bubbling a little bit, you know, internationally. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the China is, uh, it likes to keep that astir because they want to keep India on a back foot. I mean, you know, that's quite straightforward. And, and uh, also China is, um, you know, uh, Pakistan, Pakistan's best, maybe only, friend. So uh, they, they want to show to the Pakistanis that they're doing something for 
to back up Pakistan, but at the same time, very careful to phrase that so that they're really only addressing the question of Aksai-Chin. So to that extent, India may have made a tactical mistake by referring to Aksai-Chin in August when Amit Shah made this point about uh, all of Jammu and Kashmir belongs to India, including Aksai-Chin. Maybe India shouldn't have said that. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, I, you know, the, the, again, I would... Because as, as you correctly pointed out, except for that, they are not making much of a noise vis-a-vis -vis no, the recent no, decision. No, 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 it's true. I have a great deal of respect for, for, for Indian diplomats, and many have been working on this for, you know, decades, generations. They know better than I do how to, you know, move these little pieces of the, the, the kind of uh, uh, verbal, you know, uh, puzzle about these things. But I think this, uh, this idea that you could both change the situation on the ground in... Uh, Jammu and Kashmir, and sort of make a more forward diplomatic position, so that you're you're restating your claims. I don't know about the forward position. I don't know what what that really achieves for for India, except for just getting people angry and you know uh, riled up. Uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, maybe it achieves something in terms of future negotiations, or uh, you know, maybe there's some quid pro quo to be paid off there. I hope it is not 5G. <laughs> <laughs> we shall see, I don't know. You know, the United Nations uh, human rights officials have been particularly critical of uh, the uh, recent decision. But do you think their statements really matter in a world where the UN is probably losing its significance and influence? The Americans don't bother about the United Nations. So some, some sections of uh, the Indians could make the argument, who cares what the UN... Um, human rights officials are saying. But in fact, they published two reports uh, earlier on, one in 2016, I think one in 2018, both of them very critical of the Indian government's policy in Jammu and Kashmir. Yeah, I, you know, I, this is a personal opinion. I think it's always a mistake to undermine international institutions that will probably have a utility for you in the future, you know. So right. If, if right now the UN human rights you know, organization is not something that India is interested in, Okay, but perhaps sometime in the future, this will be a useful in organization for India, you know? I mean, so I don't think it's a good idea to undermine and uh, uh, belittle these, these comments. Um, you know, and I don't think that they're saying anything that is not in the newspaper, to tell the truth. You know, and, and it's not because the newspapers and the UN are ganging up on India. <laughs> they're stating what they, they are, is being reported on the ground, you know? Uh, you know, I have quite uh, confidence in, in both... Uh, the UN Human Rights Organization and in my you know, press colleagues that they are just reporting what they see. How do you compare Pakistan's Kashmir diplomacy with India's Kashmir diplomacy? I know we are probably comparing oranges and apples, but still, what, what do you make of how? Because there was a lot of uh, ballistic effort by the Pakistani government, including the Prime Minister himself, who went to various world capitals to talk about what's happening in Kashmir and its implications for the region, including the possibility of uh, nuclear escalation, etc. The Indians adopted a slightly more, um, I would say, diplomatic approach to things, convincing, talking, cajoling, rather than going ballistic. But that's my personal opinion. How do you sort of uh, um, compare the two? Uh, I don't know. I mean, the, I, I, sometimes I find the two, it's, it's like watching a game of sort of kabaddi or something like that, you know. <laughs> it's like, the, the, there's, you know, that each one tries to grab something from the other side, you know. And, and, and I find, you know, you know, Pakistani diplomats, they feel very, they go home, sleep, a good night's sleep, if they've managed to score some tiny little point, you know. Uh, and I find the same thing on the Indian side, you know. And neither of these ways of behaving really advance anything, you know. Um, so who is scoring better right now? I'm really not sure. I, I mean, uh, uh, you know, I think in general, India has a stronger hand and more skillful people uh, uh, at this particular game. 
but sometimes Pakistan scores a few points. The change of status in, in Jammu Kashmir, it handed Pakistan something to play with, Same. which Pakistan didn't have before. So, and they've tried to play with it. So, um, you know, which is not at all unexpected. So, uh, uh, but I don't, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that they've done wonderfully well, you know. Uh, but um, this game just seems to go on and on and on. You know, it's, it's not a good idea to get uh, someone to speculate, but what's your sense of what is likely to happen uh, in Jammu and Kashmir in the days to come? What implications, what geopolitical implications does the decision have? Um, you know, you have the withdrawal of the American forces from Afghanistan, you have uh, the uh, perhaps the return of the Taliban, you have a lot of things happening. So, how will the Kashmir decision play into that? Um, well, it depends to some degree what happens on the ground, in, 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 particularly in the Kashmir Valley. Um, I, I'm afraid that things will continue to be unhappy and uh, possibly violent for quite a long time, um, and, uh, which is very unfortunate um, for everyone. Mm -hmm. you know? um, and uh, partly because of that, it's hard to see things actually advancing. Um, you know, Pakistan is not in very good shape uh, right now, um, economically speaking particularly. Um, and I think in different circumstances, Pakistan might have been willing to move closer towards calming things down with, 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 with India at this, this stage. But it's, uh, things have stirred up again in a way, which, which, which make things difficult. Um, it's also difficult to know what the what the end game or winding down in Afghanistan is actually going to mean in right. practice. Right. You know what actually happens in Afghanistan. I'm not sure. I mean, it's 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 a, it's too far around the corner. You know, who will the big players be? Um, you know, will India be in, be part of the picture in, in Afghanistan at all, at all? I'm not I'm not sure if it will be. Uh, um, you know, uh, countries like Iran might actually end up being a more important player in Afghanistan in in in, in future. Um, so, well, that I, actually creates a problem because in the in the late 1980s, early 1990s, when the Mujahideen war ended in Afghanistan, many of these Afghan fighters did come to Kashmir to fight on behalf of the Pakistanis and on behalf of the uh, dissidents in in Kashmir. So, do you think that's a possibility? Although many people rule that out, but what's your sense looking at it from from the outside? It's hard to know how this will play out, really, because I mean, for, from the perspective of Pakistan, which find, feels itself sandwiched between two. To you know, India on the one side and the Americans in Afghanistan on the other side, sort of thing. They see themselves as being besieged in a way. You know, it, depending on how things work out in Afghanistan, is Pakistan going to feel more comfortable that its supposed Afghan backyard is now, you know, more or less, you know, under its control of its friends, the Taliban? Is that what it's going to look like? And is that good or bad for India? I'm not sure. I mean, it might. In, it's it might in some ways potentially be good for India. If Pakistan is more relaxed about its strategic situation, maybe it would be more willing to come to some kind of, uh, you know, uh, modus right. vivendi right. With, with, with India. Right. Um, that's possible. Or maybe it's the opposite, that it will embolden Pakistan to be more aggressive, etc., etc. I'm really not sure. I suspect that, that, that because really economically Pakistan's future right now does not look good, that they'll be trying to find some way out of all of this mess. I mean, Pakistan needs it more badly than anyone else, actually. 
Um, and this is why I find India's move slightly puzzling, you know, if, 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 with, 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 with um, Kashmir, because if, I think just patience would, have, would be India's, one of India's best, you know, strategies. What about uh, the influence of domestic politics on, on foreign policy? Are ah, you discounting well, that? That's another thing. Yeah. Domestic pa uh, politics is never patient. Impatience exactly. is the, you know, the opposite of politics. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. So, well, that, that, that explains everything. Max, um, do you think the Kashmir decision runs the risk of fundamentally altering India's peaceful, traditionally peaceful image internationally. India has been seen, of course, with exceptions as a, as a peaceful nation, as a defensive country, a country that uh, wants to, at least if not does actually practice uh, Gandhian non-violence, um, upholds norms and principles, etc., etc. So does the Kashmir decision fundamentally change that image that India internationally enjoyed traditionally? I think it's too early to say. It depends how things play out. I mean, for example, the Supreme Court is in the process of looking at some of the, these changes and will rule on you know, how the Supreme Court views this in terms of the Constitution. Um, but it also depends whether this, you know, you know, in Kashmir you had a state which was sliced in two uh, and turned into a union territory mm -hmm. with two governors, again, without asking any of the people in the, in the state mm -hmm. what they thought about this. Mm -hmm. I mean, one can imagine the same thing could happen to another Indian state, you know. Has, does Kashmir become the model for you know, other parts of India? You know, then it becomes a bit more disturbing for, 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 for India's future. I mean, you know, uh, it, it, sort of, it depends what sort of India we have a few years from now. You know, does it turn out that, that uh, 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 you know, what happened in Kashmir is, is India's future? I mean, I don't th think so, but you know, uh, uh, one doesn't want to discount any possibilities. You know, so... so um, uh, and also, you know, one of the things about uh, the events in Kashmir is the way that um, these pretty profound changes, you know, uh, uh, were then represented in the press, in the Indian press, and also how they went over in the Indian parliament and institutions. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and the press celebrated this, you know, without very few questions asked, and the parliament passed it with very few, you know, much, without much uh, interrogation. Uh, that's the kind of thing that, that's a bit more disturbing. I mean, in some ways, more disturbing than the actual, you know, events in, in Kashmir is, is how India manages this, you know. Uh, um, and uh, again, it's something that you have to look forward in the future to see how this plays out. I mean, is this a new kind of India mm -hmm. where the press just applauds everything the government does and the parliament doesn't ask questions? You've been watching India for the last close to five years now. Where do you think we are, he we are headed as a nation? I know that's a tricky question, but you know. well, I, I think you know India is always surprising, and always able to change course. And usually, as a you know sort of political body, is a self-writing, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, able to find its equilibrium. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm always optimistic about India, you know. But uh, um, uh, I think I think you know right now there's a kind of imbalance in the in the politics, which is which is uh, uh, not necessarily very healthy. Max, nearly two decades ago, that's my, that's my last question. Um, two decades ago, Bill Clinton said that Kashmir is the most dangerous place on earth. You think that's, that's becoming true or we, we, we have passed that stage? I think, I, I'm not sure if it was true even then. 
you know, I think that was an exaggeration. Or, or maybe, I don't know, I have to think back to the 1990s. Maybe the world was so calm and peaceful and, you know, pleasant that Kashmir was the worst, <laughs> most dangerous <laughs> place, you know. But right now, there's so many, so many dangerous, you know, uh, 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 places that uh, Kashmir is quite far down the list, I, I would say. I mean, it is worrying, you know, the fact that, that both India and Pakistan are, are adversaries and are nuclear armed. Um, that is a situation that is, you know... And you have non-state actors. Yeah, and non-state actors, yeah. absolutely, yeah. yeah, like yeah autonomously yeah. also. Yes, yeah. And also uh, non-state actors and also, you know, in the case of Pakistan, you have a, you know, political system right. which supports non-state actors, yeah. I mean, deliberately. I mean, yeah. as, a part of, as part of, as a tool yeah. of... There are all, kinds of, there are all yeah. kinds of actors here. Yeah. So, no, it's, I'm, not, I'm not trying to laugh it off as not dangerous, but I, I'm just, uh, uh, it has been dangerous for a long time, and it's been manageable, you know. Uh, so uh, uh, one hopes it will stay that way. And I think right now there, there, are other, there actually are other questions that may be more dangerous you know, in other parts of the world. Max, wonderful talking to you. Very nice to talk to you. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you like this podcast, please rate and follow us. For regular updates, you can also follow our Twitter handle NSC with HJ or our Facebook page National Security Conversations with Happy Mon Jacob.